Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come now to opening up your holy, inspired, and inerrant word, Lord, we come seeking you, expecting you to, to teach us today, Lord. So Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and write your eternal truth on our hearts. Change us, O oh Lord, today. And Lord, most of all, let us see Jesus. Let our hearts grow fonder of Jesus. As we study about the crucifixion, Lord, let us see what you accomplished through Jesus and Calvary's cross for our sake. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We are in our Easter se- uh, series. Last week we looked at John 18, and now today we're going to look at 19. We're going to focus in this morning on John 19, uh, the last part of 16 through verse 30. John 16 through, John 19, 16 through 30. Now, there are certain events in history that are, are pivotal. They're pivotal points that, that really change everything, change life as we know it. For example, December, uh, December 7th, 1941, most of you know that date because that was the date that Pearl Harbor was attacked. It was the day that changed the course of American history. It caused us to enter into World War II, a war that uh, still affects us today. And you know September 11th, 2001, The 9-11 attacks. That day, I remember that day. Got up, went to work, everything was fine. And then got the calls about the attack. And that day, everything changed. America changed. Go to the airport today, you see the change that was made still affecting us today. It was a pivotal point in history. Well, today we're looking at the most pivotal point in all of history. An event that happened somewhere around A.D. 33, 34, and that is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That was an event that changed everything. In fact, when we think about the, the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we, we are seeing an event, we're, we're noticing an event that is the very climax of all of history. You understand that we exist today because of God's gracious love towards us in his act of redemption. When Adam and Eve took the, the apple and sinned in the Garden of Eden, God said, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they did start the process of death, but God in his grace saved them 
And all of Scripture, it tells us the story of God's redemption. God didn't kill Adam and Eve that day because he had a plan of redemption in place. He didn't crush history that day because he had a plan already in place. He is already determined to send his son Jesus Christ to live a life for us, die on the cross for us, and be raised again for us. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the very climax of all of history. We live today because Jesus and what he did on the cross. You just think about it. Even the way we tell time today is based upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have B.C., before Christ, right? You have life and history before Christ, and then you have A.D., Anno, let me see if I get this right, that's Latin, Anno Domini, Anno Domini, which, which means in Latin, the, the year of our Lord. And so all of history is divided before Christ, and the life of Christ and onward. And so all of history is revolves around the life of Jesus Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the very climax of all of history. And so today as we look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we are looking at a pivotal point in all of history, a day that changed absolutely everything. A scripture that I read earlier in Isaiah, he talked about, I am doing something new. He was talking about Jesus and what he would accomplish through Jesus. And things became completely new, completely different after Jesus. So today we're looking at this and we're seeing the sermon in a sentence. In the crucifixion, Jesus Christ was exalted on the cross in order to accomplish God's sovereign plan of redemption on behalf of his people. Let me say that again. In the crucifixion, Jesus Christ was exalted on the cross in order to accomplish God's sovereign plan of redemption on behalf of his people, on your behalf, your Christian. So today I want you to, I, I want you to, to, to know I want us to look and, and see, to know what Jesus Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross. And I pray that that will be a pivotal point in your life. You begin to consider what Jesus did for you on the cross. So today we're going to look at four accomplishments of the crucifixion. Four accomplishments of the crucifixion. Now, last week, just to remind you, last week, we were in John chapter 18, and we looked at that whole chapter, and we saw the, the arrest of Jesus and his wrong, wrongful uh, condemnation. And so he was delivered, he was brought in by the religious leaders of, of the Jews. They tried him in a faulty trial. There were no witnesses that could do, say anything that would condemn him. And yet they delivered him over to Pilate to be crucified. And in the first part of John chapter 18, you see there, and I encourage you to go back and read it after this morning, but you see there uh, some more of that being played out. Jesus before 
Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate looks at Jesus, he tries Jesus, and he goes out to the Jews. I find nothing wrong with this man. He has done nothing worthy of death. He is innocent. He is innocent. And Pontius Pilate, actually, he sought to release Jesus because he saw him as an innocent man. He recognized his innocence. But yet, the religious leaders, they pushed Pilate into a corner. And they said, he is claiming to be a king, and if you let him go, then you are an enemy of Caesar. There is no other king but Caesar. If you let him go, you're an enemy of Caesar. And so they back Pontius Pilate into a corner. Pontius Pilate goes through with it, and he delivers Jesus over to be crucified. And so that's where we pick up today. And we're just going to work through our text this morning, paragraph by paragraph. So starting in verse 16, the first accomplishment that we see... Uh, accomplished the first thing that we see accomplished on the cross in the crucifixion is this in the crucifixion the king of kings was exalted in the crucifixion the king of kings was exalted look there at verse 16 the end of 16 so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, as we look at that and we think about that verse there, that text, it's interesting because Pilate, he, he writes this, this placard to be put upon the cross. And that was common when it came to executions. When they executed someone, especially by hanging on the cross, they typically wrote their offense above them so that all the world, all who, could, who would walk by and see them suffering up there on the cross would know what they did to be crucified. I mean, if you looked at a man and you saw him hanging up on the cross and, and his crime was theft, this is a thief. He is being crucified because he is a thief. That would encourage you not to steal, wouldn't it? And so they did that. They wrote these inscriptions above their head so that people would know why they were being crucified. Well, here Pontius Pilate, he has nothing to write about Jesus. He is an innocent man. And so what does he write? What does he write? He says, here's Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. You know, Pontius Pilate, he is doing this out of contempt for the Jewish leaders. In fact, when you, you read on there, it says down there at the end uh, in verse 21, so the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered back, what I have written, I have written. You see, Pontius Pilate, he is doing this out of contempt for the Jews. He hates the fact that they backed him into a corner. He wanted to let Jesus go. But they backed him up into a corner, and they, they put his leadership on the line. You're no friend of Caesar if you let Jesus go. 
and falling under the bullying of the religious leaders, preferring his status among the Jews be held in place rather than, than to do what was morally right, Pontius Pilate offered Jesus up to be crucified. And so he writes this in contempt of the Jews who had brought Jesus to him. But I want you to see that God's plan of redemption, his providence is at play here. Even working through Pilate's contempt for the religious leaders, what Pontius Pilate writes is the truth. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Because that's exactly who Jesus was and is. Jesus is the king of the Jews. And there he was being crucified on Calvary's cross because his people whom he came to had rejected him. In fact, John had written earlier, he came to his own and his own rejected him. And this was the climax of that rejection. They had delivered him over to, to be crucified. But you see in this, God's providence working out. Here is Jesus, King of the Jews. And I want you to notice this in verse 20. Backing up a little bit in verse 20, many of the Jews read the inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. It was written in those three language, languages. Why was that significant? Why did John add that in here? Because those were the three main languages of the day. Those were the three main languages of the day. Greek was the, the common language of the day. Uh, Latin was the official language of the day. That was what were, were, was spoken and every, all the legal documents were written in Latin because that was the official language of the day. And then many of the Jews, they spoke Aramaic. And so every single person who would be coming in and out of Jerusalem that day Jew and Gentile would be able to read that pronouncement. Here is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. You see what's taking place here is that God is showing us something. He is revealing a little detail. Not only is Jesus Christ the King of the Jews, but because of their, their rejection of him, because they had uh, re received him not, now Jesus is not only the king of the Jews, but he is the king of all nations. He is the king of all nations. In fact, Paul talks about that very thing in Romans chapter 11, verse 11. He says, so I ask, did they, the Jews, did they stumble in order that, that they might fall? By no means, rather, now he's talking to Gentiles, remember, rather through their trespass of rejecting Jesus, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So it was through the, the rejection of the Jews 
the reject, their rejection of their king that Jesus Christ was delivered over to be crucified. And through his crucifixion, he became king not only of the Jews, but of all nations. Oh, the, the crucifixion was all part of God's providential plan. And furthermore, we see that in the crucifixion that Jesus was exalted. He was exalted. He was lifted up. This was his glory. Now this is craziness, isn't it? Because when you think about a cross, the cross is not a throne. A cross is an, imp an, implement of an emblem of death. An implement of death, a tool of death. Miss Sue was talking about earlier there, we, we have the cross everywhere. We have it hanging on our walls at our house. We, we have jewelry that have crosses on them. We have, we have the cross hanging everywhere. But to a first century Jew, the cross was an emblem of death. It was like a, a, an electric chair or hangman's noose. It was an instrument of death. It was an instrument of suffering and agony. But we see it not as an instrument of death, but we see it as an instrument of life because it was on the cross that Jesus was exalted. He was lifted up. And there on Calvary's cross, He defeated our enemy, sin and death, on our behalf. See, it's like a, a young king, untested by battle. And he goes out with his troops and he faces the enemy and he charges the enemy lines and he, he fights hard and he may suffer loss in the midst of the battle. But at the end of the battle, he comes out the victor. And through his victory, though it cost him, his victory exalts him, it glorifies him. And on Calvary's cross, it costs Jesus everything. It cost him his life. Because on the cross, he paid for our sins in our place. But yet on the cross, he was exalted. He was glorified. Because on the cross, he won the victory for his people. On Calvary's cross, the King of Kings was exalted. Oh, dear friend, in the crucifixion, Jesus was not defeated. But Jesus was exalted as he won the victory for us. John 1, 11 through 12, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, and let me put that in present tense. To all who do receive him, he gives the ability to become children of God. Do you receive him? Have you received him? Is he your king? If he's your king, he's won the victory over sin and death. You can trust in that. If he's not your king, You've got to face sin and death on your very own. Trust him today. Trust him today. 
In the crucifixion, the king of kings was exalted. Second, in the crucifixion, God's sovereign will was fulfilled. In the crucifixion, God's sovereign will was fulfilled. Look there at verse 23 through 24. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them in four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. Now, a tunic, let me tell you, a tunic was the, a piece of a cloth that was worn next to the skin. So it's under everything else. We think of our undergarments, that was his undergarments. It was a little different than what we wear, but, but it was his undergarments. It was that, that thin piece of material that was next to his skin. And so they, they take the tunic, and they says there, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Now that's significant. That's a significant little detail that John gives us there. The fact that his tunic was solid, that was seamless, is an important detail because that tells us that this was, a, this was actually a, a, a rather expensive garment. I mean, to have a tunic that was seamless, that had no seams in it, that was only the wealthiest of the wealthy could afford such things. And you know, Jesus wasn't the wealthy of the wealthiest, right? He was poor. He had nothing in his earthly life. He said the, the fox have their dens and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. So he had nothing, but, but here is the thing. He had someone along the way, one of his disciples, because he did have some disciples who followed him who were wealthy, and one of them loved him and, and gave him this extravagant gift, this tunic that was seamless. And this is important. Why? Because he's about, he is using this. God is using this through his providential guidance to bring about the completion, the fulfillment of his Old Testament prophecy. Look what it says there. It was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they, the soldiers, said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. You see, God's providential hand is at work all, in all of these little details to bring about the complete fulfillment and the perfect fulfillment of his plan of redemption. John is referring to uh, Psalms 22, verse 18. Psalms 22, verse 18. And let me just flip over there real quick and, and read that for you. Psalm 22, verse 18. Actually, I'm going to back up a little bit and read from 14 through 18. It says there in Psalm 22, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast my strength is dried up like a pot but like a pot shared and my tongue sticks to my jaws you lay me in the dust of death for dogs encompass me the soldiers and the other mockers 
encompassing Jesus. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. God wrote that prophecy through David hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And through every little detail, even through this tunic that was so valuable that the, the, the soldiers wouldn't rip it in two and divide it among them, but instead they cast lots, fulfilling the fullness of God's plan, the fullness of his word. Well, dear friend, let us see that we can trust God's word. God doesn't lie. He doesn't miss one single detail. But when we read scripture, when God says, thus shall it be, thus shall it be. He worked out every little detail to fulfill his sovereign will in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God is sovereign over everything. Proverbs 19, or excuse me, 16, 9 says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Dear friend, God's in control. And I want you to see even today, whatever you may be going through in life, and maybe you're going through a hard time, maybe you're suffering through something even now, I want you to know God is sovereign. He is in control. And you can have courage in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your suffering, knowing that God is in control of every little detail. And because Jesus Christ surrendered to the sovereign will of the Father and gave his life according to the Father's sovereign will for you, paying the penalty for sin and death in your place, whatever we face, whatever you face in this life, whatever suffering you are going through, it's but a little while. Because your eternity has been secured. Whatever you're going through, you can face it with courage knowing that God is there and He is in control. Trust Him. Trust Him. For He died to give you eternal life. Jesus trusted in the Father's sovereign will and won the victory over sin and death. You too, dear friend, can trust in the Father's sovereign will, no matter what it is you may face, because Jesus has won the victory over sin and death in your place. So in the crucifixion, the King of Kings was exalted, and God's sovereign will was fulfilled. Third, in the crucifixion, Jesus lovingly cared for his own. Jesus lovingly cared for his own. As we look at this, back over there, as we look at that next section of Scripture, we see the loving care of Jesus Christ even in the midst of his suffering. 
Look there at verse 25 and 27. So the soldiers were doing these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, now the disciple whom he loved, that's John's name for himself in this gospel. When you read through the gospel of John, you'll, you'll see from time to time the disciple that Jesus loved. He's talking about himself. This is John who is standing there by the mother of Jesus, Mary the mother of Jesus. And so as he sees them standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now we think about Jesus sitting there on the cross, hanging there on Calvary's cross in the midst of, of great suffering. Here he is, he has been arrested and wrongly condemned. He has been crucified, hanging there in misery and agony. He has been humiliated. His tunic is missing. They have stripped him completely naked. I know that we see in the pictures, you see Jesus hanging on the cross with a loincloth, but, but th that's just out of, for the, the sake of modesty. In, in actuality, he was, all, he was completely naked, hanging there in complete humiliation before this big crowd, looking at him, spitting on him, mocking him. Come down from there if you're the king of kings. If you're the king of the Jews, why don't you come down? If you're the Messiah, why don't you come down? Oh, you, you can save others, but you can't save yourself? Completely humiliated. And yet in the midst of all of this, he looks down. Not concerned for himself. That's why he came. He came to suffer. He came to be humiliated for us. He came to die for us. And he looks down from the cross and he sees his mother. Right? He's been completely abandoned. All that's left are these five. These four women. One including being his mother and one disciple, John. And he looks down no concern about his own situation and he looks at his mother and says woman behold your son pointing to John he says John behold your mother you see Jesus here he's the eldest son to Mary now we notice that all the other brothers and sisters because Jesus had some half brothers and sisters that were born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus. Jesus was, was born of a virgin birth, but after Jesus, Mary conceived with Joseph. And, and you had people like James, who wrote the book of James, and Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. But at this point, they don't believe in Jesus. I mean, that's just that knucklehead that used to wrestle with us. He's not the Messiah. We know him. We grew up with him. They don't really believe that Jesus is the Messiah, so they're not there participating in this. 
And so Jesus, being the eldest son, he is responsible for taking care of, her, of his mother in her old, old age. And as he is hanging there, knowing that his time was not to be lived out to take care of his mother, but his time was meant to die on the cross, he takes care of his mother by looking at the disciple whom he loved, John. John, take my mother. Take care of her. Just like she was your own mother. In that moment, Jesus cares more about his mother than he does his own life. But I want you to see that there's a greater truth at play here that John is painting for us. Even as Jesus is more concerned about his mother than his own life, Jesus was more concerned about us taking care of us, taking care of his own, rather than his own life. Jesus was on that cross willingly. He could have come down. He could have come down. He could have called 10,000 angels to come and rescue him and kill off the whole world. But he willingly hung there he suffered all he suffered for your sake if you trust in him. In the crucifixion, Jesus cared for his own above his own life. Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him because He, Jesus, cares for you. Dear Christian, no matter what you're facing in life, no matter what you're going through, I want you to know Jesus cares for you. He cares for you. He showed that care. He proved that care for you by dying for you. But whatever you're facing in life, whether it be sickness, financial struggles, Whatever it may be, loss, take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus, for He cares for His own. In the crucifixion, the King of kings was exalted. God's sovereign will was fulfilled, and Jesus lovingly cared for His own. Fourth, in the crucifixion, Jesus completed the work of redemption. Jesus completed the work of redemption. Look there in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that, was, that all was now finished, that all was now complete, said to fulfill the Scripture again, Psalm 22 that we read earlier, to fulfill the Scripture he says, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. This was the cheap wine of the soldiers. This jar of cheap wine was sitting there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now notice 
And, and if you're familiar with the story, you know that especially in Matthew and Mark's gospel, they tell that at the beginning of this whole process, Jesus was thirsty and they, they offered him wine mixed with uh, another substance that, that uh, one of the gospels calls gall. Now, gall was a, a chemical that they put into the wine that they would give to those who were being crucified to, to kind of numb the suffering a bit. It was like a, a bit of a pain pill, if you will, that would help numb the suffering. And that, Jesus said, I don't want that. Don't give me that. Because Jesus, when he went to the cross, he needed to take the full suffering on. He needed to feel every ache, every pain, every tug of the nails for us. It didn't need to be deadened, and he refused the wine with gall. But now, you see, now at the time, at the end, it has all been finished. It's all been completed. Every ounce of sin has been paid for. Jesus had paid it all with his, every ounce of his being, even to the point that his throat is now scratchy. He has suffered thirst, excruciating thirst for us. And there at the end, once all the suffering had been accomplished, once he realized it was finished, it was complete. He cried out, I thirst. And they give him this cheap, sour wine. And, and, it, and it goes and it, it softens his throat enough so that he might clear his throat. And there hanging on Calvary's cross, he takes a big breath and cries out, It is is finished father into your hands i commit my spirit and jesus gives up his spirit notice it says he gave up his spirit his spirit wasn't taken from him his life wasn't robbed from him those soldiers didn't kill jesus Jesus gave up his life. And everything had been done. Every ounce of sin had been paid for. He died. Giving up his own life for us. I want you to see, dear friend, that Jesus completed he finished the work of redemption that God had given him to complete he completed it through his life his life of, of obedience to the father right he he fulfilled the positive commands of the father the the, the law he had completed the will of God for us because we can never fulfill the, the will of God fully. We are disobedient. We would rather do our own thing than follow God's way. We are disobedient. We need that positive righteousness. We need that obedience added to our account. And Jesus, he completed the obedience. 
providing complete righteousness for us. And then on Calvary's cross, he died receiving the the negative aspects of the law, the punishment of the law for sin, for disobedience, for us. And He completed every bit of the work. There's nothing, not one thing left to be paid. Dear friend, I want you to know today there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. Furthermore, there's nothing that you can do if you're a child of God, if you're a servant of Jesus Christ, there's absolutely nothing you can do to rob yourself of your salvation. Jesus completed the work. There's nothing left for you to do. Nothing. You don't get your life right and then come to Jesus. You can't get your life right, so you come to Jesus. And you trust in Jesus because Jesus Christ finished the work. It is complete. There's nothing left to do. Oh, dear friend, you don't have to suffer thinking that you are, are, are gaining the, the, the guilt. You don't have to, to come back under the weight of guilt and shame. When you trust in Jesus, it's gone. Yes, you will fail. Yes, you will sin. Yes, you will stumble. But it's okay. Because Jesus finished the work. There's nothing you can do to fall from the grace of God. There is nothing you can do to save yourself and there's nothing you can do to unsave yourself. Because Jesus finished the work for you. You see how freeing that is? Now we don't live We don't live trying to please God so that God doesn't get angry with us. We don't have to to live so that we, we, we avoid the judgment of God. It's already been taken care of for us. Now we live in obedience out of love for what Jesus has done for us. No longer slipping under guilt, but living in complete freedom. Lord, I messed up today. I messed up. Thank you in Jesus Christ. You're not going to hold that against me. And tomorrow, I'm going to get up and I'm going to live for you again. Oh, praise God that Jesus finished the work of redemption on Calvary's cross. Jesus completed the work of redemption. He satisfied the requirements of the law in your place by living a life of obedience. He appeased God's, uh, by living, uh, he satisfied the requirements of God's law in your place by living a life of obedience. He appeased God's righteous wrath for you, for your disobedience by suffering and dying in your place. There's nothing left to do but to trust in Jesus. The redemption that he bought for you on Calvary's cross is not appropriated by any works, but is appropriated by faith in Christ alone. There are pivotal points in a person's life. There's graduation, whether from high school or from college, where a young man or woman step into adulthood. 
It's a pivotal point. Marriage is another pivotal point in a person's life where everything changes. Amen? When children come along, that's another pivotal point that changes everything. But the most important pivotal point of your life is the day that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because it's on that day you can look at Calvary's cross and say, He did that for me. The crucifixion changes everything. In the crucifixion, dear friend, Jesus Christ was exalted on the cross in order to accomplish God's sovereign plan of redemption on your behalf if you have put your faith in Him. Has your life been transformed by the cross? Have you been changed by the fact of the true crucifixion of Jesus Christ, knowing that He finished the work of redemption for you? Christian, if your life has been transformed, then praise God today for your salvation in Jesus. Praise God for the redemption that you have in Him and the freedom you have to live for God with no condemnation. But dear friend, if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, know this, that if you die, Without Christ in your life, you will face the suffering and the agony like Jesus faced on Calvary's cross for your own guilt and your own sin. But it won't be finished in a day. You will experience that for all of eternity. Because Jesus was God, he was able to absorb the whole thing in a matter of hours. But you will suffer for all of eternity. But God provides the way of salvation, the way of life. You'll only trust in Jesus. He died for you. You'll only trust in him. Will you give your life to him today? Oh, Heavenly Father. We thank you for the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ, Lord, you died for us on Calvary's cross. And today, Lord, you live for us in your heavenly kingdom. Oh, Lord, let us realize the freedom that comes in your redeeming act and let us live in freedom for your glory oh and Lord if there's any today who do not know you Lord pierce their hearts today let them know Jesus let them see you and know the work you have done for us this I pray in Christ's name amen stand with us if you will